Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. I am super excited today because we've got somebody who is not only an amazing human, I have not had a ton of conversations with him, but every time I do, I'm inspired. Um, I, everybody that I know that knows Pasha is like just super excited about what he's got going on and just energized. And I feel the same. And not only that, he's got a very unique background, which we'll get into, but you know, here at investing for freedom, as you know, uh, in the audience, I love to just dissect, you know, what people have done and how they got through what they did. And Pasha's background, like he used to be a professional gambler, which is pretty awesome. I mean, I have a gambling thread myself and, um, you know, that my downside though, is that I don't ever know when to walk away. And that kind of translates over into some of my investing and everything else. And so I'm just curious to dig in and, and see how that psychology has rolled over into investing. So Pasha, I appreciate you being on the show. I, I love being here. Thank you for having me on. And I also want to give you a compliment on color coordinating your books in the background. I think that's awesome. That's something I would do. <laughs> well, it's actually not something that I would do. It's something that my wife did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I just like how it's just color coordinated. Yeah. It looks good. And I get actually a ton of compliments on it. And, yeah. um, you know, she actually did it at our last house. And mm -hmm. so when the books were all packed, I just was able to unpack them that way too. So yeah, it's, cool. it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm not kidding you. My wife does the same thing in our bookshelf. So mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So uh, usually I just dive right into the questions, but I'm curious, um, what are you excited about right now? About everything that it's, it's, it's a lot. So, uh, low hanging fruit is my business, Evo capital, just what we're doing in the verticals that we're going to be integrating. Um, but m foremost, it's, I can't wait to be a father. And, uh, my, my wife and I are going through the process of finding a surrogate. Unfortunately, she can't have children, but we're going through the process. We hired an agency. That's, that's the number one thing that I, I'm most stoked about in life right now. That's so cool, man. I don't yeah. know why I, I never asked that question at the beginning, but I just wanted to hear it from you. So it's great. Um, Thanks, man. who has had the greatest impact on your life? Ooh, that's really tough. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question because I actually saw that on your, uh, on your questions. And I thought this was a really good question because it's such a collective group effort for, I, I believe for, for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And a little bit about my background in the sense that I, I feel like I had to raise myself a lot. Um, that I think I took a lot from observing others. So one would be probably my brother, my older brother, just watching him, how he operates, how he networks. Um, and then my father just kind of being the man that he is. Uh, those are the, those are the two for sure that I, I probably got the most from. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Oh, I think I'm just resilient, man. I really and foremost, it's just having a greater vision above myself and just be like resilient. Cause I've had a lot of dark times in my life, you know, 
just personally and career-wise, financially, there's been some dark, dark times. Um, but it was just always like, I'm so quick to reset. Things don't really like affect me for long. It's probably from my poker background and from my childhood. If something happens to me, I'll shake it off within 24 hours and just be like, all right, this is the new base level and then proceeding forward. So it would be resiliency and just having a greater vision for myself. I love it. You can see that, by the way, in your attitude. Like I said, I don't know you really well, but the first time I think I actually um, really watched you, and that sounds weird, creepy. Um, <laughs> the first time I really was paying attention to you, I think was at the Dallas event last year, the Champions event. Mm-hmm. And you just have such like a, um, you just have like a light about you and just an excitement for life. And that's not, um, that's not really common. And it doesn't surprise me that you talk about, you know, the dark times personally and, you know, raising yourself and the resiliency and all of that. And, um, I just kind of want to mirror that back to you because, you know, I had a rough childhood and, um, I think it, everybody has challenges. And at the end of the day, like what we do with that is what determines, you know, who we become. And I'm just, I think it's awesome to hear that that resilience is, is part of, cause I can see it, but you don't really know it until you start talking through it. So it's pretty awesome. I really appreciate that. I mean, sometimes it's easy to be like, why, why am I so goofy at you know the age of 38? But it is, you know, it is because of those, those dark times that I've made a commitment to myself that life has to be fun for me or it's not worth living. And I've had those situations of, is it worth living and is it not? So I think you can really uh, call on those times to really enjoy your life now, you know? And so, and also thank you for sharing a little bit about your background, but it makes us who we are. It makes us stronger. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, like, um, you know, I asked you the question, what are you excited about? And, you know, being a father and it's um, even that, that's one of the things that drove me. And, you know, even with investing for freedom and opening our first business at the age of 24 and all of these things, I got married at an early age, Karen, I've been married for 23 years now, had kids early, but you know, my, my, um, I guess my dad, the, you know, uh, when I was growing up, like the image that he gave me of what a father was supposed to be was not the best example. I mean, in fact, it was a horrible example, but you know, I could have become that version or we get to shift, right? And hearing you say that, like, you're just super excited uh, for this next season is awesome because you get you you get a you get a redo of of essentially you know how a father son or father daughter relationship should be, and and it's one of my favorite things that I've ever gone through. It's cool. I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's one thing that I'm super excited about is I get to teach the lessons that I wish I was able to learn. Uh, growing up because my father, you know, essentially moved here to the States um, without anything. We had a ton of success back in Iran. Uh, My mom stayed back in Iran. So he moved me and my brother here and gave up his whole life. And he had to work two jobs just to put a roof over our heads and and food in front of our plate. Like that's the, the immigrant story. And that's like verbatim kind of how it went. And so I had to raise myself and, uh, I really wish I had a lot of parenting when I grew up. I mean, I'm so grateful for where I am at now, but I can't wait to be the father that, you know, gets to spend time with my kids and teach them the lessons and, you know, make, make this planet a little bit more fun uh, because they're in it. So I'm super stoked. That's awesome. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? Ooh, (laughs) which one? (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) I mean, there was a lot of setbacks that have happened in my life. Um, 
there's a pivotal moment in my life that I, I distinctly remember. I was 25 years old. I was living in Houston, Texas, and I've been playing poker professionally for about close to five years now. Did really well, but I, I just never managed to hold on to my money. I had really uh, piss poor money management skills. I was living with my ex-girlfriend and who I did not like, and she did not like me, but we're still living together. And I turned 25 years old, remembering I don't like any of my friends. I don't like my ex-girlfriend. I have no one that's close to me. I'm dead broke and I have no career path. And I hold myself to a higher standard and I broke down and crying. And I said, this, this needs to change. Like, this is the moment where uh, I'm a quarter of a century and I need to, to do something and apply myself to grow something bigger than myself. And that's, that's when I believe I really started taking life seriously. I started creating life instead of letting life happen to me. Um, and that was, I get chills thinking about it. That was a pivotal moment where I did a complete 180 and I recreated who Pasha was in every facet of my life. I'm so curious because I, I have some of those too, where, I mean, even junior high, I remember going from sixth grade into seventh grade and, and recreating myself. And there's been, there's been multiple phases, but you know, as we get older, I'm curious, was there any, it's easy connecting the dots backwards, right. And thinking through that, mm -hmm. but was there like one moment where you're like, okay, I need to change some things. Or was it kind of like a culmination of a bunch of different things? It was a common a combination of a bunch of different things. I actually, I think I innately knew that I needed to change for a long time. We, you know, there's, there were some pivotal moments in my life and why not? Let's just get into it. I don't really always share this, but something there was a time where I was, you know, suicidal and I almost really just ended it right there because I was just so depressed and I hated life and I don't like what I was happening, but I decided in that moment, if I don't go through with it, maybe I'm just a chicken or it's, I have to enjoy life. I have to make this life fun or this life isn't worth living. Let me give myself a shot. So there was moments like that when I was a teenager, um, that really kind of changed the trajectory of my life, but it was, a, but for the most part, it was a constant letdown of myself almost on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah. Um, and even when I was doing good, like, you know, uh, I can brag about, being 21 to 25 and making good money, traveling in the world, playing poker, no schedule and having fun and partying and, you know, like have doing all the cool things that everyone wishes that they could do. But I still let myself down. I still knew that this wasn't what I wanted. And, but I was letting life happen to me. I was letting friends and other people influence their lifestyles upon mine. Um, so it was just an accumulation of a lot of little things that kind of happened to make a big decision. You know, I appreciate you being open and, and vulnerable. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I get a lot because I'm I'm kind of an open book. In fact, that's, you know, we met through GoBundance. And one of the main mm -hmm. reasons why I wanted to join GoBundance is because I had this epiphany. I had this realization that year. I think it was 2018. Um, I realized that I did not know how to have like deep authentic male relationships, which sounds crazy, but mm -hmm. I was, you know, my, my dad was a shithead and my mom and dad got divorced when I was eight. And then, you know, my mom is a, is a gem. And I was partially raised by my grandma, who was probably one of my favorite people in the world. And what I realized is like, I, I really, I knew how to have great relationships with women, but I didn't know how to have solid male relationships. And so I went to go abundance and I said, you know, 
uh, because one of the pillars is authentic relationships, right? Yeah. Um, I said, you know what, I'm going to build one authentic relationship per quarter. And GoBundance is one of those places where, you know, you can't hide, you can't fake it. I mean, you can for a few minutes, but, um, and I just realized like, you know, being open, being honest, being vulnerable, like that was the best way to really settle into that tribe. And, um, I've just, I've learned to just be open and it's, it's helped not only me, but a lot of other people. And so I appreciate, you know, you being open and vulnerable about it because we can all talk about our wins and we'll get into some of the awesome things that you've done and, and are doing, but I don't think we spend enough time, you know, really talking about the setbacks and challenges. And I think, I think we do people a disservice sometimes, you know, when, when people find out that I was a meth addict and went to jail and all these things that I was going through, they're like, what? Um, but I've never hid that from my kids. I've never hid it from, right. you know, anybody. And if I can just help one person that's on the fence or on the edge, like, I think, I think it's worth it right there. I so appreciate where you're come from and where your, your thinking process gets funneled through. Cause it's really refreshing and it's really a beautiful thing to, and also want to help. And thank you for sharing that. I think we've, man, I mean, we, <laughs> people go through so much and it's very easy to get fixated on the easy or the things that are happening that are well, but man, it's really awesome to reflect back on the things that have happened negatively that have shaped you to become who you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's also a huge kudos to you as well. Thank you for sharing that, um, in your journey of that. And because that's powerful, people need to hear that. People need to hear that there's, there's another way and they need to see other people being able to be like, Oh, well, if I'm an addict, I can turn my life around. Somebody else has done it to forge that path forward. I think it's the most beautiful thing. And then one other thing I just want to relate to you, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, and I, I've never really shared this before, but you brought it up is I too used to never have male bonding friendships. Like I never used to be close with males my age. Um, and I did this, I did an emotional uh, intelligence course. We did a trust exercise. You'd go around to the people in the room. You say, I trust you. I don't trust you. I don't know if I trust you. And I, every female, I said, I trust you. Every older person, I said, I trust you. Every younger person, I trust you. But everyone that was a male my age, I did not trust. Mm. And that gives me chills thinking about, it. I was like, whoa, like, what is it about that? I had to explore that. And I had to get through that. And that's why I love go abundance as well, too, because of the authentic friendships and bonds I've created in here. Yeah. You know, and even just thinking about, uh, cause investing for freedom, right. When I was working with the consultants and talking about, cause I mean, you work with consultants and they're like, you know, get your marketing message and, you know, speak to the doctors, lawyers, accredited investors. And when I was going through this whole process, like obviously when we get into the investment world and we're offering accredited investments, there's mm -hmm. a very specific person that fits into that. Right. But I'll tell you what, I really struggled with it because um, I, I, I want to help everyone and you can't help everyone. <laughs> but no. the reality was I understood that like, if we can take people like Pasha that are super successful and, and we already like, we, we, we know you are, but then we can like dissect just, you know, the human version of it. That's what really gets me fired up. And I think you said this a few minutes ago, but there's so many people that are out there hurting and they don't know what to do next. And, and, you know, even social media today, we see this version of people that isn't mm -hmm. always true, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> no, absolutely not. We, we always turn on like, where, you know, I'm, where am I going today? Like I'm in Mexico city, all these things, but 
you know, we don't really tend to share the, the down stuff. And man, if I can just inspire one person or you can inspire one person like, hey, you know what? I was suicidal and yeah, it's tough as hell. And yeah, it's not going to be easy, but look at who I became because of it. We had a situation just earlier this year, you know, a close family friend took their life. And, um, you know, I was, I, I was there. I like saw it and had to deal with it. And man, I never, I never want to see that again. And I never, I, I not, not because of just even me and my trauma, but you know, what can we do to help others? And so I just appreciate that man, really, honestly. I am so sincerely sorry to hear that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, in those moments, I always think about if somebody reached out or if they were, or if they felt safe enough with somebody to reach out and just have a conversation with, things could have changed, right? It's always easier in hindsight. And unfortunately, I'm so sorry again, but there, there needs to be some inspiration. There needs to be some stories. I would like to take this one level deeper, if I may, yeah. in the sense that I think what really helped me and change, and I, I don't know where I got this from, but it's something that is so innate in me now that has helped me with almost anything that I've ever done in my life is that I look at my life in like really big life chunks. And what I mean by that is I look at my life in 10 year increments at bare minimum. I never try to look five years, two years, one year. I do for short term planning, but let me, let me riff on this. So I make decisions based on my 10 year trajectory and not my one, two year trajectory or six month trajectory. So when I knew that I had to change everything about myself, social anxiety, friends, personality, who I was at a core level, investing, financial relationship, my wife, everything, it seems very overwhelming to try to change over overnight. Mm. So for me, I broke it out into, all right, you know, at this time when I was making life decisions, I was like 25 years old. And I said, all right, by the time I'm 35, I want this, 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 and this. So I have time to do all this. It's not a complete 180 where I have to completely reverse 25 years of patterns that are, you know, ingrained in us. And so I started taking it off in bite-sized chunks and that really helped me. All right. In these next three months, I want to work on who I am at my core. And these next three months after that, I want to work on relationships. How, how do I get girls? Like, I don't even know how to talk to girls and, you know, and then how do I develop authentic relationships? And I started biting it off into bite-sized chunks. And then I would change my pattern slowly mm. and it makes it easier to co- have a compounding effect. It becomes a big snowball effect. Right. And then, so when I'm 25 and I was like, I, I got at least another 75 years to live, probably at least another 50 years of really like going out, enjoying life and building and creating. I have no problem sacrificing two years of personal development work. I, w- I wouldn't even call it sacrifice to build the foundation because then I have the rest of the 48 years. And when I do that, I'm like, oh, well then this is a no brainer. Let me just go do that and, and sacrifice quote unquote, any kind of short-term success for long-term gain. You know, I love that. I love the way that you have methodically, you know, processed that because from a business perspective, we do that all the time. Like, you know, whether it's a Cameron Herald, vivid vision and, you know, one year, three year, five year, 10 year plans, but the way that you dissect that into becoming that so we're always thinking about how do I make my business the best version of itself or how do I make my investments the best version of itself? But you like methodically chunk by chunk, like how do I, what's that next level best version of Pasha? And man, that's, that's amazing. Yep. I I think when, when you have a vision for what you want 10 years from now, 
your decisions, your short term actually become a lot easier, in my opinion. So anytime someone comes up to me and I don't know what to do in this situation and they're confused on whether they should option one, two or three, I'm just said, well, your vision isn't clear enough for what you want, obviously, because if you did, you would know what option is going to lead you to that success 10 years from now. And we do that in business all the time. But I do that with personalities or my uh, my personal um, life. I do that with my relationships. I do it on, on everything. And I did that before I started learning about you know, 10 year visions and all these business strategies that we do now, you know? Yeah. So I got lucky in that sense. I love it, man. I don't know if it's luck or just working through <laughs> it, but okay. So let's, well, I got to finish the questions. I was, um, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Yeah. What is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? Ooh, um, I have two, I have one on personal and one in business, yeah. right? I think they're, they're both the, the one personal is it tends to be a more relationship advice because uh, I get a lot of relationship advice or questions or whatnot. Me and my wife are incredibly happily married. Um, I just say, just find a partner who supports who you are, mm -hmm. right? But also have a partner at the same time who will call you out if you're being a dick or, you know, way too stubborn. Yeah. But you want to find somebody who supports you in all of your ways and never settle for anything less than that. Because in my opinion, life isn't worth it if if you're settling or you have to feel any kind of resentment for not being you. Um, and that comes out in other ways in, in relationships. And then in and in business, um, you know, I had a really good mentor once tell me, just get rich slow, Pasha. There are no shortcuts. And what what he means by that is find good properties, recycle your money, do it tax free, but don't go, you know, chasing these hundred Xers, 50 Xers. Don't get caught up by the, the big flashy deal. Just grind away and you'll be richer than any, like mostly anybody that you ever know. Give it, give it like 20, 30 years. Um, and I, I thought that was a really good piece of advice to, to stick in my lane, essentially. That's amazing advice. Uh, you know, you hear these little things, uh, throughout life. And that's one of those that I know is going to stick with me, like get rich slow. It's, um, it's so simple, but so impactful and yet so hard to not get distracted by, you know, one of my early mentors, Dolph DeRue said, the deal of the decade comes along every week. You just have to be looking for it, but also like the worst deal possible <laughs> comes along like every day. And there's yeah. so many deals out there and just really that get rich slow. That's, that's great advice, man. Yeah. We, we just did that over at Evo. It was, it was actually quite struggles. It was one of the biggest deals that we, we would have tackled. It was a $28 million deal, a portfolio. And the, the operators who were selling it uh, wanted to add a park, a mobile home park in there that we weren't comfortable with, that we didn't want. But the numbers worked, but it, it, and we could have done it. Now, everything had to go right but the numbers were astronomical. It would have been good. And we just had a meeting internally and we just said, Hey man, like as great as this sounds, I'm sure we can pull it off. I know we can, this goes against our model and let's just grow organically. Let's grow slow. We're okay with it. And we walked away, you know, and that was a hard decision. Cause that would, that would have been like the nice flashy big ticket item portfolio that we could have bought. But we just said, Hey, this isn't, this isn't who we are. And you know, that, that really sticks with me, get rich slow. Because I told, I remember telling my partners this, I said, listen, we're going to be in the game for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to be just a blimp in, in the time continuum that we're living. So it's like not a big deal. And so we walked away. I mean, you just gotta make this. That's how I, I make my decisions at least.
Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, kudos to you because there's some deals that I've done that I wished I would have walked away from and I didn't. And, you know, and here's the thing we learned from that. You said that earlier, you know, there were some dark times personally and in business. And, and I'm a believer at the end of the day, I mean, we make mistakes and we get better because of it. But the fact that you're learning from that and took that advice and can say no, and it's not that I haven't said no to deals too, but yeah. I've said yes to some deals that I wish I didn't have in my portfolio. So. <laughs> I, I think we've all done that. I've definitely done that a few times early in my career in my development deals where I just, I should have said no, and I'm still dealing with it, but it, it's a learning lesson, right? I mean, I've been in real estate for almost 11 years now and you just that's experience. Um, and also goes with a life motto, but sometimes if anyone takes anything away, sometimes the best deals are the deals that you say no to. Yeah. You know, you said something, I want to back up to the other part about, sure. you know, your wife and choosing your spouse. And, um, I don't know if you know this, but Karen, I, my wife and I have a couples mastermind and I, oh. I've said this so many times. If, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you can only do one thing, which there, sometimes I probably should do less things, but if somebody said you can only do one thing, it would be the couple's work because yeah, it's just so rewarding. And, and I so agree with and appreciate like what you said about, you know, just picking that partner, picking that spouse. One of my mentors always said, if two partners have the same strength, one of them's not needed. And I love, you know, how you bring that in. It's, um, it, it's not that everything's like rosy and my, my wife is like, you know, people have asked her like, how do you control Mike? And I'm like, have you seen her? Like she, she's a pit bull, but are you familiar with Naval Ravikant? I'm sure you are. I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, he, you know, he's one of the smartest guys that is out there. And he said, if there's a single piece of advice that like is the most important, he said, make sure you pick the right partner. Yep. And I've heard him, man, some of the wisdom that this guy drops and he's a billionaire and so much wisdom. And, and he said the same thing you said, like that partner that you pick is so important. Yeah, I got that from my father. I have to give him kudos. I just reminded him of that because he always drilled it into me, pick the right partner. And he always showed examples of partnerships that worked really well. He said, look at what they built. Look at the happiness they have. And my dad's a divorcee, you know, and, and gave up a lot. And he's just like, you could see that there's the big difference. And he really drilled it on us, find the right partner. And I, I'm blessed to say that my brother and I both picked the perfect partner, but that also, you know, just to kind of scratch on this a little bit more is I actually did an exercise where uh, when I was learning about myself and who I wanted, I had a mentor of mine say, have you ever written down what you want in, in a perfect uh, spouse? And I said, no, they're like, well, then how the hell do you know what you want. And I just figured I, I kind of thought I knew what I want. And I started writing down all of these things that I wanted in a woman and what I wanted in a spouse and in a partner. And as I was writing it down, my wife currently at that time, we had dated a little bit off and on. And every, I get chills even thinking about it. Everything I wrote was, oh my gosh, this is Jessica. Oh my gosh, this is Jessica. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I just, in that moment, it was like, holy shit. I, it's Jessica. Um, and then ever since then, I just, I knew I had to have her essentially. And like, then our whole love story kind of prevailed after that. I, I love it. And, and, you know, Karen, and I've talked about this a little bit and what I think is intriguing about the exercise and the process. And I'm curious of your thoughts on this, as you get clear and you identify, you know, what that perfect person looks like, not that they're going to be perfect, but they're perfect for you. Right. Um, I think it also gives you a mirror back. Who do, 
who does Pasha have to become in order to attract that person as well? And I think that can apply oh, to business yeah. and, and everything else too, but even relationships or children, you know, being a, being a father, like, you know, if I want my kids to act and behave a certain way and be a certain type of human, you know, what kind of father do I have to be in order to raise a human that acts that way? And so I love that you made like a vision list of your ideal <laughs> woman, because it makes, it really gives you a mirror of what kind of human you have to be to attract that. Cause you're not going to build this perfect avatar person and you be a shithead and attractor. Yeah, absolutely not. It's, it's, it really is true. I think you, you said it so well, you, you know, this is the coolest thing about being human in my opinion and having the you know brain that we do is that we can really create whoever we want to be and whoever we need to be and whatever we want and and in those times of me creating the perfect life for myself i was able to create the perfect version of pasha as well too and, and trust me I, I agree with you uh marriages are not always easy but they are so worth it if you find the right partner and you're both committed to growing with each other doesn't necessarily mean in the same way you guys are just both growing, but you're going with each other and you're always c continually coming back. And I don't know if you're, if you're anything, uh, it sounds like it is, is Jessica is always exponentially growing. She does women's retreats and women's circles and a lot of a uh, holistic healing and a lot of modalities of that. I'm like, you know, the capitalist and she's like the hippie and we're growing in our own way, but we're always finding ways to integrate with each other and, and come back together and really learn the tools that we've learned in personal personal development um, to communicate and authentically love each other for who we are. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff, man. It is cool. And, and even just back to that, you know, my, my mentor said, if two partners have the same strength, one of them is not needed. And he was specifically talking about business partners. But when I think yeah. about, when I relay that back into our relationships, um, uh, you know, the, the differences between you guys is also what makes you like probably super special. And I've seen that with Kara too, you know, she's, um, there's a lot that we have in common. There's a lot that we have difference, but yeah, she's like, she gets into, she's certified in breath work and, you know, does a lot of her own st stuff and masterminds she, but she just launched a, a community called rain and co, which is a, an mm -hmm. accredited investor women's community geared around, you know, just investing. But even that she takes a completely different holistic approach because it's about, you know, wisdom and wellness and, and, and building community while doing the same thing. So it's, it's interesting, the different spins on it, right? We've, we've got to do like a, a couple like dinner or something. We, we gotta, we all gotta connect because there's too many similarities and, and like veins of, um, similar patterns here. Yeah. It'd be super fun. Yep. I'd be excited to do it. So I want to get into how we went from <laughs> being a professional <laughs> poker player to evoke <laughs> capital and everything you've got going. But before we do that, um, you know, we're living in a challenging time and, and I, I just got done recording a solo episode on, you know, remaining in zones of inspiration, because I think if we're not inspired, then we get into zones of stagnation and then yeah. ultimately desperation. And I mean, even just the conversation and the thread we've had, I think it's important to get your take on this. Um, you know, I, I put up a, a story, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and um, it was a, just a image that I found somewhere and it said, I heard there's a recession coming and I refuse to participate. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that, you know, things aren't real and it doesn't exist and everything else, but I'm curious, you know, how are you, how are you remaining positive and, um, you know, moving through these times? Because there's so many people that are just, I don't even think anything that crazy is going on right now, but, uh, you know, I also want to be weary and, 
or, or uh, aware of what's going on and yeah. not put my head in the sand either. But how are you remaining positive and what's your outlook? Yeah, you know, it's quite interesting. Um, I want to refer back a little bit to my poker background because it really teaches you not to be um, super emotional about things and not to overreact. Because if you overreact, you make mistakes. So you always need to be level-headed and you always have to have like Teflon, Teflon-like armor, right? So, you know, even in 2008, 2009, 2000, I, I saw what was happening around me, but it just was fact to me. Like these things just happen and it is what it is. You have new information to process and you can make new information or make new decisions based on the information. And that's what like poker is, right? So with this recession that we're in, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I don't get too caught up in what's going to happen. I see what's in front of me. I have, I always, always keep an eye of what potentially will happen later on. We are being a little bit more conservative. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I like, I've reminded so many real estate people uh, lately who've come to me and they're like, oh, but interest rates are so much higher. And this, I said, if you've been in this game for long enough, this is very normal for the interest rates to be at, right? Like this is very normal. And you knew it had to come up from where it was. Let me remind you of, you know, just a few years ago, so all that free money that we got in that two, 3%, we knew that was going to come up. We knew we printed a lot of money. We knew we had to inflate our way out of a debt on a macro level, right? So to me, that's not a surprise because I think in long-term, like it always had to come up. So I just, it is what it is. I just process information. I make good decisions. And let's just bring it back to like investing. A good deal is a good deal right? I stress tested all of the deals that we bought in the last 16 months. None of, I would have bought every single one with the same interest rates now, right? So just stick with your numbers. And kind of like what I said, if the deal has to work because a few margins here and there, it's probably not a great deal, right? And um, so that's how I, I'm, I'm planning for it. I always plan for worst case scenario in all my underwriting. But where there's one thing I will say to wrap it all up, whenever somebody is thinking emotionally, whenever someone is overreacting to a situation, that is exactly when I make my money. And I learned that over and over again when I played poker. It's called tilt. When people are tilting, that's when I make my most money because people are just making rash decisions instead of logical decisions. And typically that's kind of uh, advantageous for me. Man, I, I love it. And <laughs> when, when you, I, I guess I would have never thought about, I, you know, I haven't been a big poker person, but I've never really thought about just not being emotional about it. And, um, the, the way that you spun that, and I mean, it just is what it is. And when I think about real estate too, uh, and I'm just curious just from a little bit more of a, you know, a macro perspective, um, I'm not looking at, you know, one or two or three year deals where I have to exit in a certain right. period of time. I'm mm -hmm. actually, I, I think I might've mentioned this to you before in our current portfolio, we want to exit in the next couple of years, but it's not something that like we were, you know, we bought yesterday and we have to exit in the next couple of years. Right. That's just when I would like to get out. And I think it's probably still going to be a good time, but the way that I think of some of this, and I'm curious if this is how you do it as well. When I think about interest rates, when I think about prices of real estate, when I think about, you know, housing, and you're obviously in the manufactured housing space, as am I, when I think mm -hmm. about affordable housing, I can't imagine a scenario where in two years or three years or five years or 10 years, 
that that we don't need affordable housing <laughs> and and that rents are drastically cheaper than today or you know the price of yeah. real estate is cut in half or a third or i just don't see it yeah i mean it, for me it's quite simple the reason why i got into uh, manufactured housing um, away from apartment complexes to me it's um, again i'm looking 10 years down the line in my opinion, is the only asset class right now in commercial real estate that supply is dwindling, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And demand is increasing because we know what's happening with more printing of money. It becomes more expensive for people to live. Wages are staying stagnant. And so the demand keeps increasing. So let me position myself to take advantage of the like the macro long-term scale. So, you know, it doesn't really affect what I'm doing because at the end of the day, when, and I'm sure you know, when we buy a property, we're looking at a few core things, right? Can we increase the NOI, meaning the net operating income? Mm -hmm. And are we gonna be able to beat inflation? Well, yes and yes, for the most part, for every property that I'm gonna be buying. And so maybe I'm, I won't get a big repop in the refi in two, three years of interest rates going up, but what will happen is my cash flow will happen. Mm -hmm. Now I have two ways to protect myself. In, in everything that I do. So, you know, if I was like luxury A-class developer, I'd be a little nervous right now, mm -hmm. but I, I, I like to not trouble myself with those kinds of problems. Yeah. Um, so it is what it is at the end of the day. And it's just a matter of how you position yourself and position your portfolio to take advantage of what's happening. And also any property and just like yourself is, I want to have all my properties 10, 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. and, I, and that's the plan. And so if it's a good property now, and I know it'd be good 10 years from now, well, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. You know, that's how I've looked at it too. And even, you know, I got into the manufactured housing space before we ever started raising capital. And I'd love to figure out a scenario where my investors get out when they want out and I can figure out how to keep every single one of them. Because mm -hmm. I understand why investors, you know, want out and, and IRR and timing and, you know, risk. Yep. And, but at the same time, like, I just, man, the, I'd rather just keep getting those checks. <laughs> Me too. It's so much easier as an operator to be a syndicator who gets in and gets out. I, I like I I never understood it uh, until I started syndicating my like last few deals because we were buying for ourselves. But once I started syndicating, I was like, oh, I get I get why mm -hmm. syndicators and operators do this. It's so much easier on so many different avenues. But you know, our model, even though it's harder at this point, is we're just going to keep it long term. Yeah, you know, and we're and and we. Again, this is one of those things where I told my partners, we will build investors that will become family because they know that we're in this for long term. Yeah. Let's get in, get out, give their money back, and then just build infinite cash flow. I'm with you. I mean, like, I want the, I want that passive income keep coming in every single month. It is the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah, even <laughs> even when we roll up and exit, like, I would love to be able to take what would be my portion of the exit and just buy whichever ones I can, you know, cause it's just, again, it's, you know, when I look at the periods of time, uh, in the different phases of real estate, I think the hardest time was finding the deals. Like you put so much time and energy into, mm -hmm. you know, finding that right deal, like what you were talking about earlier. And even, you know, just, just the wisdom of get rich slow. The hardest part is making sure you get the right deal locked up. And so I don't know, I love, I love your long-term take on it. And I think it's cool the way you guys are thinking, about your investors being family because they're going to be there yeah. long term with you too. That's cool. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, I did get a lot of friends and family in, so like they really are like family, <laughs> like on the first few ones. And now we've expanded a little bit, um, so we got to definitely do right by them. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think 
the the way that this industry for us specifically is positioned for long term is such a beautiful thing until we can figure out a low income solution. I mean, I've looked into them. Light tech is actually, I would agree for more middle income and middle class than really low income. And that is just a drag and takes so long to build. There's just not enough supply. There's not enough low income housing, which is actually quite a freaking bummer when you really think about what's happening in this country. Yeah. Did you see, um, kind of getting in the weeds here, but I thought it was, you know, um, I don't know if you've gone to, have you gone to any of the manufactured home uh, events? I actually have not. No. It, it's pretty intriguing. And so over the last, I don't know, probably four years as we've gone to these, um, Ben Carson, you could see a big HUD presence and talking about affordable housing and, you know, under the Trump administration and the Biden mm-hmm. administration, they're talking about, you know, doing more for manufactured housing. Well, you know, talking about it and actually doing it is two different things. But I saw the White House come out probably six weeks ago saying that, um, they, they're gonna, they're gonna start, um, providing financing for the chattel. Did you see that? Uh, I heard about that. Yeah. 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 I, we heard I, about that. Yeah. I just think it's interesting because, you know, whether it's manufactured housing or apartments being built or whatever level of affordable housing, I think, you know, with wages and inflation and houses going through the roof and everything else, I think at some stage, you know, the government's going to come in and incentivize. And I don't think they want to be in the business of running affordable housing. I mean, it's never, they have to do something. Yeah. They have to subsidize it in some way, shape or form because the demand is going to keep increasing. Like, and then there's more homelessness than there ever was. It's going to be a trend that has to happen. They have to step in and do something about it unless governments and cities do something. It is just not feasible right now as a private investor Mm -hmm. to get private industries in to solve this issue. And it has to be helped in some way, shape or form. I've always, always had like a, such a soft spot for low income housing. Um, and I've always catered all of my housing towards it. And, you know, some, and I know you're not like this, but there are some also predatories out there Mm -hmm. that get into this space that always end up on the news. And so you do good right by your tenants. They'll do good right by you. But man, the government definitely needs to step in and help out in some way. But then that also creates more of a problem because then we have to print more money, which increase more inflation, which then brings more people into poverty. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I've been, I, Ken McElroy has been a mentor and a friend of mine for quite some time. And, you know, just listening to him talking about how we're going to be a renter nation. It took me a while to get my brain around this, but we're there, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really happening. And this is, again, why I, I love the position that I'm doing, what Evoke's trying to do to get ahead of this trend, mm-hmm. right? And I think we have a little space and time. And that's why I've decided to just put all the effort and, and attack it into this um, these communities, essentially. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so how the heck did you become a poker player? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is pretty easy, actually. So I had just dropped out of college. I like went for like two, three weeks in the first semester. I just knew school wasn't for me. I'm an auditory and visual learner. I'm not a textbook learner. I just, you know, I just wasn't never with me and my ADD just wouldn't allow me to really like retain a lot of information while I was reading something. So I dropped out. I worked some odd jobs here and there, waiter, all the natural stuff when you're a kid. My brother, however, won a tournament in 2004 for $1.4 million. He didn't tell anyone. He just showed up at my dad's house one day, retired him, 
with 150K in cash and said, you're never working again. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. He had been talking about that since childhood. So mad respect for him of that. Um, but obviously I'm competitive. And so I said, if my brother could do it, well, I could do it, right? Like I know how, I know like how he operates. So I started playing, I started playing 20, $40 here, like tournaments and this and that, and just snowballed. Um, and you know, without getting too deep into it, I, I forgot what year it was. I, I really wish I could remember. I turned a hundred dollars into a, close to $20,000 in one world series of poker uh, summer event when I was visiting my brother. And ever since then, it was just kind of like, it, it took off. Um, anyway, so then I played poker for about five years and moved to Houston because the games were so good. Um, but then I really realized this lifestyle wasn't for me. Like I, I love waking up early. I like having a routine. I love being disciplined about my life. I love creating. Um, and then I quickly realized that it's always been real estate. Real estate's been the end game. Um, and then I went and interned for three months, um, basically out of friend's office just to learn how to flip houses. After I did that, I went to Vegas and I started buying homes sight unseen at auctions, did that for many years, moved to LA, got into development because again, my thesis is I will always go where there's less competition. So there was an area in LA that was underdeveloped. I went and bought a bunch of land and developed there for the next five years, even though I don't know what the hell I was doing, I figured it out made some pretty good money. And then I've just, uh, in the last 16 months really made the commitment to switch over to apartment complexes and then now manufactured housing, um, and, you know, slowing, selling off of all my development, my residential portfolio to fund all of that. Um, and then, you know, I purchased about 900, a little under 950, uh, lots and units in the last 16 months. That's amazing, man. It, you know, I'm, Karen and I were kind of on this like similar trajectory other than I never played poker, but um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like that, like you said, it's kind of a natural progression. I mean, we had 45 single families and some commercial mm -hmm. buildings and five mobile home parks. And when I sold my business, it's kind of like, what's next. And you know, when you really just look at the road signs, the, it, it kind of takes you where you need to go. And, um, it's, it's pretty cool that you came from poker. I'm curious, and you already mentioned some of the parallels, mm -hmm. but what, what has poker taught you about? you know, investing in, and life that adds value to you today and investors? Yeah, I think there's a lot. I, I kind of touched on it. It's, I call it game selection. Pick your markets, right? I, I always went where there's less competition. Mm -hmm. For example, when I was flipping homes, I realized there was way more competition for the homes that were very easy fixes. And uh, so I found myself a lot of times getting the ones that were a little bit burnt down. There was hoarders there. You know, it was a little bit rougher shape because I always have a firm belief, more headaches you solve, the more you get rewarded for it. Um, and then again, with the development deals, um, I flipped one house in LA and I just said, hey, there's way less competition for these lots that are selling for way cheap in my opinion, mm -hmm. especially in Los Angeles, um, especially with kind of what was happening around the neighborhoods. Um, so I've just bought a, a bunch of those and started developing and I got rewarded for it. Again, that's another reason for manufactured housing is, and this is why I operate in secondary and tertiary markets, mm -hmm. because when you learn about manufactured housing, it's so non-transitory, it's so different than apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. So I have no problem being in different markets that most people through the lens of apartment complexes don't want to touch. Right. And so again, less competition, more reward. And that's just essentially my thesis on investing always. Um, and then 
you know, always sticking with the number and making long-term decisions that are correct, right? In poker, long-term decisions compounded over time make you a winning poker player because you can make the right decision in the moment and still mathematically get beat by like a five or 7% chance of losing the pot, right? But you have to make good terms and then not let it affect you. So in real estate, you can't let it affect you. Let's say if everybody else buys like, you know, 2000 units and are growing faster than you, or, you know, like, again, if I wanted to keep up with the Joneses per se, I'd, I would have gotten bought that $28 million portfolio. But for me, it just, I'll just make good long-term decisions. And it's because I know I'll be around for 20 years. And that's how I based my poker career out of, I'll just make better decisions in the long-term. Yeah. So good, man. Well, yeah. this has been like truly, uh, an, an honor and a privilege. It's been a great conversation. Um, how, how do people find you? I know you're raising capital. Are you guys raising capital right now or? We're about to launch a fund cool. um, instead of syndicating the model, but we, we're, we're going to launch a fund here shortly. The best way to get a hold of me is LinkedIn, Pasha Sfandiari, cool. or you can just send us an email on uh, evocapital.net. And I always reply to that one as well. I'd tell them to text the word MHP to myself, but that's what I already do when I'm raising capital. So I don't, I don't oh, actually I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if you, I mean, if honestly, like, you know, having uh, gotten to know you a little bit and just your reputation, I can't say enough. Um, and, you know, for those listening, uh, reach out to Pasha on LinkedIn. And uh, I mean, it's obvious that you have thought this through and the way that you do life and analyze things. Um, it's, it's commendable. Hey man, I, I'll tell you what, I really appreciated this podcast and what you're doing. Your whole premise of it is really refreshing and beautiful. This was awesome, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.